Hello, folks. This is your host, Tammy Tucky, and you are now listening to the Tierra Talk Show. We bring you rare interviews with the makers of Disney magic. Whether they be singers, actors, Imagineers, animators, they have all made their mark on the Disney name. Be sure to check out the show notes, other episodes, contests, our social media pages from Facebook to Twitter, and more on our official website at www.thetierratalkshow.com. All guest opinions are theirs and theirs alone and do not represent the opinions of the Tierra Talk Show or the host. The Tierra Talk Show is not associated with the Disney Company. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode. And from all of us here at the Tierra Talk Show, have a hoop de doo day. And you. I'm excited to welcome this week's Tierra Talk Show guest, Jennifer McGill, to the show. Welcome, Jennifer. Hello, Tammy. Good to be here. <laughs> It's great to have you on my new show because we were just talking about how we haven't talked to one another in maybe four years. So I know. Everything's <laughs> revamped. It's all new. It's fabulous. It certainly is. There's been so much that has happened. There's also been a lot that's happened at Hollywood Studios uh, because we're going to be talking about the all-new Mickey Mouse Club that was filmed at Hollywood Studios for the longest time. And you were a part of the original cast and were there for many, many years. But what are your thoughts? Well, I, first of all, am super stoked about a Star Wars land because I am a sci-fi movie lover, uh, for one. And so I, I think it's an awesome future. So that's good, you know, and it, and it just makes, instead of just like a bitter thing, it makes it bittersweet that we got some, some memories leaving, you know, it's, um, it's really difficult because Disney And, you know, what Walt Disney wanted was an evolution, you know, for the parks. So I understand, you know, that kind of legacy being carried on, you know, even the park itself, you know, nothing is filmed there anymore. It's not really a studios, you know, so we've got, you know, we've got the the Indiana Jones adventure, you know, I think that's the one thing that they kind of allude to, you know, in the presentation that it's, it's being filmed, you know, but it's, it's basically representing what it could be like filming in the movies and filming a stunt show. Right. But, um, for real, there's, there's no shows filmed there anymore. And so I appreciate that they are evolving um, with what's going on in um, the, the life of Disney products and Disney shows and stuff. So I get it. Um, I, I will say, you know, Tammy, if, if any fan has gone looking around probably in the past decade at least, if not longer, at the studios um, – you wouldn't really see any evidence of the new Mickey Mouse Club being taped there. I don't think there's ever been a plaque or anything. And so it's not necessarily that big of a change um, as far as any kind of recognition being torn down, you know. Um, But it is very bittersweet for me because every time I have gone to the parks in, gosh, probably the last 20 years, I'm always bringing people over to the, the places where, Um, right by Toy Story right now, there is a section of sidewalk where I, um, dissected a frog with Chase and our tutor on a picnic table for a science project, um, in our tutoring, um, when I was probably 12 years old and across from there where the gift shop is at Toy Story, um, that's where our original costume trailer was. You know, that's the area where our original school trailer was. I met new kids on the block down that down that way. And so there's plenty of memories that 
if that particular piece of real estate isn't there anymore for me to point to, you know, that will be sad throughout the years of evolution. But um, they've already, you know, they've, they've already put Toy Story um, in the sections of um, the studios where the, the new Mickey Mouse Club mostly did tape. And I'm just glad that that space is being used. I'm glad that kids are still getting a kick out of that area. But, you know, it is sad that, you know, you, you won't be able to step into that dressing room that we had or, you know, the bungalows in the back lot because that was essentially my backyard and kind of like my family home. Those were, that was my living room, that was my bathroom and my dressing room and my kitchen. You know, I, I worked and played there for a good seven years. You know, we developed a pilot there and we witnessed the original airing of the first episode of the new Mickey Mouse Club on that soundstage together as a, a Mouseketeer family. And so um, it's a place that I can't go back to now. You know, it's it's essentially gone. You know, those places are gone. There was a recording studio back there where we did pretty much all of our uh, music recordings um, that you saw on the new Mickey Mouse Club except for the album there. And now it's gone. You know, this is what I'm hearing. And so... I'm not angry. I mean, this is what I'm saying. It's Disney evolution. Like if, if that space isn't being used to the best of the Disney standards, I get that they're going to evolve. But of course, you know, it would be great if I could just click in a time machine, uh, click on a time machine type deal and go back. It was it was such a different time, first of all. Second of all, you have all these celebrities coming in and walking, you know, all over the place because they're filming things at the studios. It was the big thing. It was the thing to be a part of. So how many people, how many celebrities do you think you ran into and, and oh. any most notably come to mind? Oh, my. Well, I remember that one of the first celebrities I ran into when we were still in the middle of developing our pilot was Bette Midler. There was a red carpet event for the opening of MGM Studios and um, focusing in the Grom's Chinese Theater um, replica. And so we were handing out umbrellas. This was way before Mickey Mouse Club aired. But uh, the Mouseketeers were handing out umbrellas because it was, I guess, a little rainy in, in Florida. And Bette Midler took my umbrella and said, thanks, hon. It was really cute. And... Um, so that was like a, that was a, a little bit of a while ago, of course. That was when I was about ten years old, maybe eleven. And then we have TLC came to visit and be on our show, and they wore band aids all over their outfits. They used to wear another kind of accessory that wasn't allowed <laughs> on a children's show, and so they replaced all those items with band aids. And I I thought that was pretty cool that they did that, and they rode little tricycles in. It was fun. Um, we also had Boys to Men, Brian McKnight. Um, new Kids on the Block. And um, I, I think my favorite um, guest who did not appear on one of our episodes, but who came to visit us behind the scenes um, was Michael Jackson. That was one of my favorite moments. Um, I was a young Michael Jackson fan and my mother had gone to a Jackson 5 concert back in the day when I was itty bitty and she brought me back like a handkerchief. And it's like, all I got was this lousy handkerchief. Um, but when we were doing one of our first um, social media um, events, uh, back before there, I guess there was social media, but you know, one of our media events, one of our publicity events, um, we were being interviewed uh, in the diner section of our set. And when we flew back off the stage, like, thanks, thanks all you reporters and camera people for coming. We flew back off the stage and who met us at the door just on the other side of that set was Michael Jackson. And we were all really surprised. 
And he was, uh, I was so little, but he was pretty tall at the time for me being so little. And he just very gently shook my hand and said, hi, I'm Michael Jackson. You know, it's nice to meet you all. I, I love your show, you know, and, and that was just kind of where it was. And so it was just one of those really crazy, amazing moments um, in my young life trying to understand that that person that I had seen in shows and seen in videos and, and seen perform was standing in front of me and loved what I was doing. You know, that was really awesome. So that takes the cake. He's the number one exciting thing. I remember, um, we also sang, some of us got to sing for President Clinton's inaugural special for the youth at, um, the Kennedy Center and Will Smith introduced us and, um, Celine Dion gave me a, a very quick pep talk before we went on stage. Um, and I sat next to Vanessa Williams, um, you know, bef before we went on. And so it's just stuff like that is just really awesome and um, kind of amazing to comprehend that back in the day, that's what I did. You know, that's who I was just kind of hanging out with. And I just I just really appreciate that I had that moment of quality time with 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 some of the most talented human beings ever. What were the original initial auditions like for the MMC? Originally, um, I was called in for the movie called Why Because We Like You. My agent on a handshake had st just started to represent me. She met me when she was judging a pageant, and I had won a lot of stuff in that pageant. And so on a handshake, um, she just started looking for stuff for me to audition for, and this was the first big audition I went on. It's, the movie was called Why Because We Like You. It was going to be about the original Mouseketeers. And um, I went to my audition, which was conducted by Matt Casella, who had then, who had henceforth uh, auditioned every single other Mouseketeer that made it to the series audition, the New Mickey Mouse Club. So he was, he was involved in every Mouseketeer you know from the New Mickey Mouse Club making it. And so when he auditioned me, um, he, he really liked me and he thought... I could be great for playing either Darlene or Doreen. And it just depended on the growth spurt, whether or not I had one. Because I had the coloring for Darlene, but I guess I had the vocals and maybe the height for Doreen. So he just wasn't sure. Well, I went out to L.A., and this was really the first time that I had traveled anywhere big like this. Kind of, you know, ever left Texas, sort of. Um, besides family reunions. And so we went to L.A. We stayed in like, you know, the the Universal Sheraton or something that was just amazing to us. And um, I did the, the, uh, the big final audition for the movie. And I met Chase Hampton and Tiffany Hale at this audition. And so it was, it was pretty cool. Um, but the writer's strike happened. I think that was the writer's strike of 88. And so the movie, even though I had made it to the, to the cast... The movie was shelved. Um, it was delayed or canceled, you know, who knows exactly what um, at that time. But Matt forwarded my audition to the series. So I actually just attended the final audition for the new Mickey Mouse Club series in Florida. We were at the Grand Floridian, and um, it was a, a pretty small group of kids. I would say maybe half of them, not even half of us, made it to the pilot development but that means that there were kids that we didn't meet at that audition who came in afterwards. You know what I mean? It was, I didn't meet every single original Mouseketeer there that day, but Tiffany and Chase were there, Lindsay, Dee Dee. And it was, it was really cool, you know, to see these kids that, that loved what I loved, you know, all of us going together and learning some stuff and just showing each other what we can do and, and playing to the camera. You know, it was the first time that I had had any kind of experience like that. And there were certain kids there who had been working for a while 
And I just, I was just new, you know, super new. I wasn't new to the stage, but I was new to this kind of level of production. And um, when I got the news that I was going to be a Mouseketeer, I mean, I was super excited, but really I couldn't have fathomed what I was in for. I couldn't have fathomed, you know, it, to me it was like a Charlie and the Chocolate Factory experience where me and my parents were just like, sign away, Jennifer, you got nothing to lose. You know, the next seven years of your life. It was just one of those things where we just changed our whole lives for this career move of mine when I was 10 years old. You know, it was, it was pretty brave of my family to um, sell our house and move us to Florida to create a life there as a family um, based on this show that you just never know what's going to go on. And so by the time we developed the pilot and um, filmed the first season, you know, I was pretty settled in Florida and I'd, I'd gotten the hang of it. But, but initially, you know, walking on the set and walking on the back lot of, at the time, Disney and Jim Studios, before it opened, before its grand opening, you know, seeing it getting um, finished and seeing it in, in progress and in process, like that was really bewildering because I had just gotten my first glimpse of Disney World um, when I was coming in to audition for the show. You know, I, I saw Epcot, like the executive producer of the, of the new Mickey Mouse Club showed me and my family Epcot for the first time. You know, that was the, the first place I had seen. And the Grand Floridian, when I auditioned, was probably the first hotel I had seen that was Disney. And so everything was just so new that there wasn't a particular detail of, wow, the whole thing was wow, because I had never experienced anything like this. And really, for the next seven years, I was on vacation as far as Disney World was my home. You know, I don't remember, I don't think we as a family changed our lifestyle of vacations. We would still go on the same family reunions um, or, or really not do a lot just because of my job. But, I mean, I lived at Disney World pretty much. And so... Um, you know, I, I joke that I mostly take vacations because they're because I'm going to work. I remember that season six rap party was difficult on some of the new kids. Um, there's a a well-known picture on social media of me comforting Ryan Gosling and Justin Timberlake at our party. And they you can't necessarily tell in the picture unless you know what to look for, but they were just crying. And I'm there with them saying, don't worry, this isn't the end. You know, they, they're not going to cancel the show yet. You just got here, you know, because they were really worried that they were only going to get this one season on the show because most of the little ones who came in were already fans of the show. And so that was me comforting them. So I do remember that. Um, and the final, the final year, we didn't film as many episodes. It was... Um, less of a strenuous itinerary for us, less shows. And my perspective was that, um, that was my, I already knew that I was going to NYU. Um, when I was a junior, I, I, I knew I was going to NYU. And so I had this forward motion kind of plan B set in, set into play where I knew that if this was it, that I, that I, I knew where, where I was going. I, I knew that I had a plan because my mother would have told you that I had about a two-week mourning period between each of the season finales and rap parties where, you know, you just, I think you would have described it as kind of an identity crisis. Like, oh, you know, now, now what do I do with my moments? What, you know, I just go to school now? Okay. You know, and so it was a little bit of a letdown for me each time because a lot of my social world would leave. Um, 
But then in about two weeks, I was kind of in that rotation of school, 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 friends, 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 local people, local stuff. You know, I, I would just kind of get in that groove and I would, I would adjust. And so the last season for me, for a few years, not knowing when it was coming, I would have expected, I was expecting me to go through a harder adjustment period, but I was fine. I was truly okay. And I believe that in the best sense, I had... I had come to do what I did and I had kind of done all I could do. And we knew with these young kids coming in uh, from season six that it seemed that they were ready to replace some people or to bring up the next generation. Um, And I think some of us were making peace with that. And, you know, you have someone like Dale who was probably about 20 or 21 at the time thinking, Oh my gosh, these, these babies, they're, they're like 10 years younger than me you know, coming in season six. And so, you know, I just think a few of us were like, well, you know, college is coming up or the next, the next thing is coming up. It's, it's going to be okay. You know, the thing that I had to come to terms with that took a lot of time was, um, the, the wanting the, wanting the career of fellow Mouseketeers, um, that, that wasn't my destiny, you know, and that's something that I'm super healthy about now. You know, I really love, my life now. I really love how I was protected from a lot of stuff that my fellow former Mouseketeers have had to go through as celebrities that, that I haven't had to go through and I might not have survived, you know? So I'm really grateful for how my life has turned out. But at the time I was dealing with a lot of comparison issues. And so through that time, you know, I was going into smaller ponds, if you will, and really trying to conquer and be the best that I could be wherever I was. And I did some incredible work and some really awesome jobs and met a lot of talented people. You know, I actually ended up back at Disney World as a cast member again, as an adult, in an amazing acapella group that was headed up by Deke Sharon, who was the vocal arranger for both Pitch Perfect movies, um, as well as, um, Gosh, I'm going to get it wrong. The the Sing Off, I think, is the name of that show. And so I was in an acapella group uh, that performed at Disney, and it was really fun. And as well as a singer in Tarzan Rocks that was at Animal Kingdom, I was a Disney clinician um, where I taught um, visiting choral groups, you know, certain pieces from Mickey Mouse Club, music, uh, sorry, uh, certain pieces from, you know, Disney movies, and um, help them, you know, do some choreography, help them record it and film it. You know, it was really fun, very rewarding stuff. You know, I also did, you know, dinner theater and I traveled the world again in different band situations. Like I was, I was, I was a cover band. I was a cover band singer. Um, I did a Michael Jackson tribute show, um, in Germany and Russia, um, got to see Switzerland, um, really cool stuff. And then I also got to be on, um, a cruise ship in Hawaii for a year as a singer. I got to perform as a musical and dramatic minister at the Holy Land Experience for a little over two years. Um, I got to sing at Redeemer Presbyterian Church, who, uh, or yeah, Redeemer Presbyterian Church um, was founded by one of my favorite pastors, Dr. Timothy Keller. And so it was awesome to, you know, be sharing a platform with him, you know, just for a few services. It was really cool. Um, I got to experience Michael W. Smith and Donnie McClurkin live, you know, singing backup for them and Carmen. So I've really run the gamut of fulfilling shows and always staying busy. And that's just stuff that was in front of people. You know, I also got to be um, 
in the Blues Brothers show at Universal. So um, it was pretty cool, you know, just all the, the things that I've done. My, my voice is actually still on a Christmas show at SeaWorld. Um, maybe, maybe that show's done now, but um, as of a few years ago, they were still using the first Noel that I had recorded for them for one of their shows during Christmas. And so I joke that I'm the theme park diva because <laughs> I've sort of performed in every park in the, in the major Orlando area. And, you know, now I'm more behind the scenes. Um, I'm, I'm still doing presentations, but the, the, uh, the product and the shift has begun moving more towards my personal journey and more speaking rather than just the quote-unquote park-and-bark mentality of a performer. Um, right now, I am the creative director of Lifetime Impact Group. It is a very small company that produces shows um, right now for young girls and then uh, tweens, boys and girls, and their parents to um, encourage them to have strength and to know their worth and their beauty and their power, and it's all Christ-centered. And I wrote both of those shows, and um, I sing in them, I perform in them, we travel with them. And um, as an offshoot of that, I also speak and um, sing in churches. I'm a worship leader and a songwriter. And so right now, um, you know, through 2017 and 2018, we're on a trajectory of having me complete a book and an album from which I will be able to speak about certain highs and lows of my life and how all of that has informed me and made me wiser of who I really am as a person and as um, a follower of Jesus. And so um, really that's a big platform that I am standing on right now. And it really, it really, that central theme pours out into all aspects of my life, you know, all of my relationships and all of my career and, you know, how I feel about myself and, um, how I feel about the future. So, um, it's a really awesome, I think, graduation into really broadening the horizon of how I can encourage but also not leaving anybody behind from my Mickey Mouse Club fan base because as I do this album, it's a full-length album, as I do this album and I write this book, um, I want material to be in there for anybody who, you know, is, is not in the Christian scenario, you know, people who aren't even interested in that. I want them to see certain aspects of my life and, and how all of that has impacted who I am today, you know. So it is all the products that I do are not to close anybody off from me, but to really open myself up more to everybody. And so I believe there's something for everybody. And um, what would be super awesome if everyone could do me a solid and find my music page, my, um, let's see what's, what it's called, find my public figure page on Facebook and like that, because that's where I post a lot about blogs and upcoming events. But I do also have on my I do also have for my website a subscription option, and that will subscribe you to any newsletters we put out. You'll be notified if I have a new blog or um, anything like that. We have um, a calendar page so you can look at upcoming events. You can look at where I've been or whatever. You can look at pictures and um, all sorts of cool stuff, lots of YouTube videos. So that's just jennifermcgill.com. And I'm going to put in the show notes below all the links to your Twitter, Instagram, and to Jennifer's website. So listeners, go ahead and click follow 
vote, like, do everything you can, and keep in touch with Jennifer because she's amazing. So <laughs> I'm so glad you were on the show, and, and I think we should end the show as we always do with all our guests. We ask them three questions called the Fab Three. So we'll start with the Donald one, which is as a child, what was one of your favorite Disney films to watch over and over again? Let's see. My favorite Disney film was Sleeping Beauty because I loved her hair and I loved her crown. There was just something about the aesthetic of that particular movie that I loved. And I loved The Little Mermaid because of the songs. I watched them over and over again. And our goofy question, what Disney character do you think would be your best friend if you met them in person? I honestly think that uh, me and me and Jasmine for one, would get along. And our Mickey question, if I asked you to name any Disney song at this very moment, what immediately comes to mind? Man, see, because we were just talking about Little Mermaid, so all I hear is Under the Sea and part of that, part of your world. Um, yeah. Would you like to sing a little bit? Um, <laughs> sing us out? <laughs> oh, gosh. Like, it's funny. It's funny because I, I used to... <laughs> I like I like the um the outro of part of part of your world. It's it's like it's like I don't know when, I don't know how, but I know something's starting right now. Watch and you'll see. Someday I'll be part of your world. 